Good morning. Um, I'm so glad to be here again to talk about um, in this series about the wilderness. So as we've been talking for several weeks, we are followers of Jesus, right, that are doing life together. And so this month, we're doing life together in the wilderness, <laughs> all right? Next month, it gets better. We, we go to somewhere a little bit less dark and scary, but we're learning how to do life, how the Israelites did along the way when they were in the wilderness, side by side by them figuring it out. So the very first week, Pastor Jason talked about shared stories and how stories are not just all about us. We need to ask uh, each other to share their story, that we need community, and that those stories have to glorify Jesus, that there's a purpose in that story. And then last week, Pastor Jack talked about shared experiences and how shared experiences are how our shared stories kind of all merge together and how community happens even through the tough moments. Community happens um, uh, even when we face fear, that we can face it together, that we can face it triumphantly. And we need to worship as a community to be strengthened in our walk with Jesus. And so this morning, we talked about shared stories, shared experiences, and I'm going to talk about shared value. Shared value. So say that to the person next to you. Shared value. That's what she's going to talk about. Oh, one of you did. Thank you. All right. So along this journey with followers of Jesus, as we do life together, one of the things that's really important is that we value the same things, that we share the same values, and that we value each other. And all of these values that God ultimately wants us to value are things that he finds valuable. It's things that Um, He wants us to say, look, I want you to love what I love. I want you to reject what I reject. I want you to, your heart to break for what breaks my heart. I want you to be like me. I want you to value the things that I value. And so as a community, that is where we need to go. So I just want to pray really quickly this morning. Would you just bow your heads as we begin? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I ask God that um, as just I share that your clarity would come, that your wisdom would come, Father, that Um, It wouldn't be um, of my own humanity, God, but that your spirit would flow through me. And Lord, that this morning we can just learn very practically what it means to share value with each other. And God, I'm so thankful for this community. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so there's this show on PBS called The Antique Roadshow. Anyone seen it? Anyone seen The Antique Roadshow? Okay. Um, So it's a show, and there's actually a whole bunch of shows just like it, knockoffs like it on TBS and that kind of thing, but it features um, these antique owners bring in their item, and then experts appraise them from all over. They go to different cities in the United States, and you bring it in, and they say, this is worth this much money, and the people go, wow, you know, and then they go, and they get that money. So here's some examples I looked up online this week. This first is a German doll collection. Very creepy and valued at $2,000. So I thought that was interesting. All right, then here's another one. Um, This is a vintage dress. It looked a lot like a bridesmaid's dress I wore recently. $7,000 for that vintage dress, right? All right, and then here's one more. Oh, these are Coke plates, the superior soda. Um, Valued at $8,500, those things are. So what I find so interesting is most of the owners start off uh, by explaining to the appraiser, well, I just had this thing in my basement, you know, for like 20 years, and I dusted it off and thought this might be worth something, or my parents have had this in their garage for 30 years, and then they moved, and I kept it, or, or I found it at a cheap garage sale and thought it was cool, and then I looked it up online, and here it is. And, and then the appraiser goes on to talk about the history and, and the value of the item. 
And most of the time, the owners are just shocked at the high value of a Coke plate, right? Or a bridesmaid's dress that they wore 30 years ago that looked ridiculous. And, and they just are saying, wow, this random thing has value. I, I flippantly threw this in the corner of my basement for 25 years, and now it's worth $7,000. And I really believe that in the family of God, in, in our community of faith, we often underestimate the value of each other. The value of what each person has to offer, the value of the community, and we treat it like this random, underappreciated, dusty, antique item in the corner of the garage. And we don't have this value for each other, and we don't have the value for the community. So Max Weber uh, is a German sociologist, and he came and visited America years ago, and he spoke with Adam admiration. He wrote his report in admiration about all of the voluntary associations we had. He, he said, man, Americans, they're belongers. They're joiners. They, they, they have all these things on their resume. He says, no other society in all the world can show as many fraternal orders, service clubs, social clubs, garden clubs, women's clubs, PTO, PTA, PTL, okay, uh, bowling leagues, theater groups, political associations, veteran groups, ethnic societies, on and on and on and on. He says, no other culture in the world has all of these groups that you can join in, and no other culture in the world has somebody who's like, I'm part of 27 groups, you know, I've all, I like all these things on Facebook, you know, like all of this stuff. And he, and he says that these groups show that we feel, Americans feel the need for community. We feel it. We have this sense inside of us that community will complete humanity. If we didn't feel it, we'd knit on our own. Our knitting club would be us, you know what I mean, right? Our, our flag football league, just me. I don't know, that doesn't really work that way. But, you know, we would just have this idea where we just need to be on our own. But the design that Jesus had for humanity was to experience it together. And the design that Jesus had for humanity was to have shared stories, to have shared experiences, and to have shared value. And as a culture, whether we understand that or not, we feel it. We feel that void. And that's why we have all these secular attempts to create community. But unfortunately, Max Weber, the sociologist, doesn't really have to tell us. But he goes on to report. But the, the thing that was so strange to him was that even though we had all of these groups and all of these chances to, to engage in community, that the culture was just completely void of meaning. And he said... They were not accomplishing what they were set out to do because most of Americans' problems seem to root out of loneliness. They seem to root out of loneliness. Max Weber goes on to say that Americans were part of a crowd, but they just didn't seem to belong to a group. And he explained it our culture as like a whole bunch of pebbles in one box. And you shake the box, and they're all rumbling around and you hear all the pebbles, but none of them feel like they're connected to each other. They're all just going and doing their own thing in the same space. They didn't experience real, true community in all of these gatherings, even though they were attempting to. And I believe this morning that you could be part of this family of God. You could, be, you could come every week. You could be part of a, some type of serving team or on some... Uh, work in the children's church or work at the ark or, or, or MC every week or, you could, or the band or you could do any of that stuff, but you could still have this experience that you just feel part of the crowd because you've never dived into the community. You've never shared your story. You've never shared experiences and you aren't sharing value. 
And if that's the case, then we're just a bunch of people in a crowd, but that aren't building community, a bunch of pebbles in a box. So in the Old Testament, in Genesis, uh, the story of creation happens, and Adam is not complete until Eve came. I have my own theories about that, women. But, um, but the meaning is, the idea here is, that there is no individual who is complete in himself or herself. Jerry Maguire had it right, right? Humanity means person in relationship. That's what makes you a person, is that you have relationships. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture, um, to be cut off from community was the worst possible punishment in their legal system. It was the worst possible punishment. They valued community so deeply, so the Israelites that are wandering around the wilderness valued community so deeply that the very worst possible thing that could happen to them is not, you know, dial-up internet, (laughs) but it was to be denied being part of the community. Because an individual forced to live in exile was not a whole person. And so community defines humanity. And I really do believe there's nothing quite as unique as the character and the specialized community of the church, of the family of God. The Israelites fought through the wilderness as a, com- as a community. You can't, you can't compare that kind of community that fights through the wilderness and fights through our emotional highs and lows and fights through our, our difficulties and fights through our, our, our celebrations and does those things together. You can't compare that to something as simple as um, a Spanish club or, or, a, or a knitting club. Like Those are great, but they're not the things that, that make us who we are. They're not the things that make us alive or the things that make us person in relationship. And I believe that the shared value in community, the shared value in each other, is that we learn to understand, as Israelites did in the wilderness, that we are people created, provided for, ruled, and redeemed by God. And that we tell stories and we worship and we praise and we sacrifice and we sing and we preach and we pray. And there are massive acts of disobedience in our community and there are massive acts of rebellion. But there's marvelous returns of repentance and marvelous returns of renewal. And all through that, there's a continuous awareness that we are spiritually unique, that we are a corporate reality, that we are people that are shaped That's something we talk about a lot here. It refers shaped by God's call and shaped by God's rule, and we're doing that together. And nothing can compare with that. Nothing can replicate that. Nothing can substitute that. So this morning, dust off your antique, underappreciated perspective of this community of God, of the community of God that you're part of. Come on out to the Schreiber Antique Roadshow, okay? And let me help you see the value in what's right here, the value in what's in this together, the value of walking with a family of God, the value of what is right here among us. So in this series, we have seen um, the Israelites walk through their journey. That's what we've been talking about. Last week, we looked at Passover specifically. Today, we're going to land in Exodus 18, um, which is the Israelites, they have just, let me tell you a couple things that have happened. They've just experienced a victory over the Amalekites. They watched Moses hit a rock and water came out. Ooh, that was exciting. They were, like, amazed by that, okay? You're supposed to be too. Wow. Say wow, okay. All right, they saw God turn bitter water into sweet water when Moses threw a log into the water. They saw God provide manna for them to eat day after day. Okay, so God's, like, blowing their mind with these miracles. The Israelites are reacting kind of like you guys are. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, not, okay, not impressed. And Moses comes upon a city called Midian, where he meets up with this important guy named Jethro, 
Does anyone know who Jethro was? Tell the person next to you if you do, because you're smarter than the preacher. Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses, okay? So he comes to the city, he, he meets his father-in-law, and he says, this is what happens. And I'm going to take you to Exodus 18, 7 through 12. You can follow along with me. It says this. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. And he said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Okay, so Moses comes home. He comes home to his community, and he shares the stories of what has happened to him, and he shares the experiences of what has happened with him and the Israelites. And, and it probably took him hours to tell every miracle, every step, every fear, every triumph, every detail. And he's telling him all these details, and Jethro listens intently. And the scripture says that he is delighted. The scripture says that he praises the Lord for all that God had done for Moses and for his people. And then Jethro throws a party. I like this guy, all right? He throws a party and he says, I'm going to burn an offering. I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to invite everyone to come celebrate together what God did for this community. So how do we express shared value in community? Well, we can follow Jethro's example. And the first thing I want to tell you this morning is that we can celebrate life together. Celebrate life together. So look at someone next to you and be like, celebrate me, all right? <laughs> celebrate me. Celebrate life together. So I have three sweet daughters. You've heard a lot about them over these past several years that I've been talking to you. And my oldest is seven. Her name is Cecily. And she, if you know her, always brings the party, okay? She, she is a party. She's a walking party. And she is constantly dancing and singing. And she got some tune in her head. And she's always laughing and smiling. She has zero volume control, okay, ever. We do not go in the library. All right. And when she was in first grade, she used to walk around declaring at the top of her lungs all the time, I love my life. I love my life. I love my life. Some of us that would do as good to just walk around a little bit and say that to ourselves, right? And she would just, and I, I would say, Cecily, why? She goes, I don't know. I just love it. Like, I love my life. And one day we were at the mall, um, me and the girls, and it was just a day off, so we went to have fun. It was probably snowing or something. I won't say the S word. And um, we looked at puppies, and we were harassing the Build-A-Bear workers and hitting up the ice cream shop and getting the samples. If you go around a couple times, you can eat lunch that way. Just like you can... The normal mom life rounds. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right, this is what happens. And she is like lagging behind, dancing to a jig or something. I don't know what she's doing. And I said, hurry up, sis, hurry up. Move it, let's go. We don't have all day. And she just looked at me and real sweetly, not in any rebellion or anything, she just said, well, why? And you know what? The parent inside of me wanted to be like, because. But she stopped me in my tracks and I... I thought, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any sermons to write. I don't have any meetings to attend. I think that I was just so used to hurrying all the time 
that I was so used to being preoccupied with my own agenda that I was so trapped in the rut of just going from one task to another to another that I was missing out on this invitation to just experience joy, to, to just look at the puppy for five more minutes, to just experience joy. You know, I think we often divide our minutes into two categories, living and waiting to live, right? We spend so much time in the transit, right? We're trying to get somewhere, waiting to begin, driving someplace, standing in line, waiting for the meeting to start, waiting for the meeting to end, worrying about something, then being mad about that something you worried about because that never happened. And now, you know, I spend all the time worrying about the thing that actually didn't happen. You know, and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we are literally, literally killing time rather than living in it. We're literally killing it. And I think the thing that preoccupies most of us from experiencing joy and celebrating life is this focus that we have on self. This focus that we have on my agenda, the things I need to do, the tasks I need to accomplish, the things that I have to do to get the things done that I need to do. And you know what I find so amazing in Exodus 18 is Jethro threw a party not because of what God did for him. Mm -mm. He threw a party because of what God did for Moses. He wasn't even there. He didn't see the miracle. He didn't taste the manna. He just said, well, if God did that for you, then geez, let's celebrate it. Let's see what happened. And in that culture, I was talking to Pastor Jason about this because he's the expert in all things Old Testament and mustaches. Um, So setting a day apart for sacrifices and burnt offerings was no small potatoes. Like that wasn't just like, oh, I pick. Tuesday. On Tuesday, we'll have cake. Jethro had to invite all the elders of Israel, an entire nation of people, stood before the tent during the meal, gave praise to God corporately, celebrated what God had done. They stopped their work. They stopped tending their sheep. They stopped being with their family. And they gathered together to celebrate what God had done for someone else. They gathered together to celebrate what God had done for someone else, because it was no longer about self. It was no longer about what God had done for them or their family to contribute to, 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 to their life, but it was about someone else. Maybe even someone that they didn't even know personally. Moses, that guy, I don't know, he'd married Zipporah. Okay, that's why we're going there. All I know is that God, the God I know, the God I serve, the God that I'm a part of this community with, he did something, and I heard of God's faithfulness, and I intentionally want to celebrate it because it's just not about me, and honestly, it's not even really about them. It's about the God who is faithful to them. Joy is not a private emotion. It requires community for both its development and its expression. It requires community for both its development and expression. And I, I got to thinking when I was preparing for this morning is what would happen if instead of waiting for something awesome to happen to us to experience joy, instead of waiting for something awesome to happen to us for us to celebrate God's faithfulness, what if we just celebrated what God did for other people? And what if we stopped waiting to live and stopped killing time and we just celebrated all the time. And we just lived in joy because God is working. God is working in our community. Maybe not in my situation. My situation might still stink. But in your situation, God is working. And for that, I can find joy in that. That's just what I think God designed when he thought about community. We often separate the experience of joy from the God who provides it. John 15, 11 says, my joy will be in you and it will be full. 
God gives the joy, yet we don't credit him. Joy often is separated from its roots in God and pursued apart from the community of faith. Okay, so we're like, all right, we need to be happy. We need to, okay, I need to be joy. God says be joy. Okay, what can I do? What, what can I do to create joy in my life? And our culture has appointed entertainment and leisure industries as the guides to experiencing joy. But they're bad, bad guides. Am I right? <laughs> they're blind guides. The world preaches and promises joy, but it sets it in this context that it's private, that it's secular, that it's something I get for myself at the expense of others. It's something that I get apart from my relationship with God. It's, it, it's the day off I take to spend time with me and go to the gym on my time and, and, and do what I want to do and spend the money I don't have for the stuff that I want that's going to make me happy right now. It's something I buy on Amazon. It's something I can show off to my friends. It's something I can invest in and save. But that is all sensation. If it's not from God, it's called sensation. It's not joy. Because real, true, honest, shared joy, shared value of joy comes right from the heart of God. John Ortberg said this, um, imagine what Genesis would read like if God was not a supremely joyful being and he approached work the way most of us do tomorrow morning. All right, so this is what Genesis 1 would say. In the beginning, it was 9 o'clock, so God had to go to work. <laughs> he filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but thought it sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day, and he looked at what he had done, and he said, it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat, plain, and functional, so that, behold, the whole earth looked like Idaho. And he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but then he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort, and God looked at what he had done that day, and he said, it'll have to do. And then God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all shapes, sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any of the other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. I didn't write that. <laughs> Besides, it was, <laughs> it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at all he had done and God said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the day, God was seriously burned out so he breathed a sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> but that's not how Genesis reads, is it? Genesis looks nothing like that. In fact, it's full of joy. It's full of God saying, and I said this, and it was so, and it was good, and it was so good, and it was so very good. And I got so excited about making those animals, I made more, and I made more, and I made more. And, and what the, the scripture is just pouring out of these verses is that joy is God's basic character. That God is the happiest being in all the earth. And, and what the, the community of God needs to be is a place where we celebrate together and we have joy. Um, I believe that we've greatly underestimated the necessity of joy in our Christian lives. Nehemiah talked about the joy of the Lord is our strength. You've heard that before, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay, looks really good on our Twitter feed, but what does it actually mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, I was thinking about this this week. If joy is our strength, then joy's absence creates weakness, right? If joy is our strength, then joy's absence creates weakness, so failure to celebrate life together, 
Failure to have shared value in celebrating what God has done in other people's lives weakens our faith. You might be like, yeah, really, that, great, you're up there telling me to have a party, but I think God's saying, please have a party. Celebrate what I've done. Celebrate what I've done because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. We must take responsibility for our own joy. Some of you may be joy impaired, okay? You're going to have to fight for it. But it can be done. It must be done. Make a joy appointment. Find a joy mentor. Take a day off a week to celebrate someone or something. I don't know, but practice joy. Celebrate life together. Okay, so the second thing that I think we can glean from this scripture about community and shared value is when Moses tells Jethro his story, Jethro takes the opportunity to speak life. I want to relook at um, verses 10 through 11. He said, so Jethro says to Moses, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Words carry immeasurable significance. I didn't think about it this week until I started studying Genesis, but you know, the universe was created with a word. Jesus healed and cast out demons with a word. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Shared value in the community of God is directly measured by our word. Shared value is when we say to one another, out loud, not just in our head, when we say to each other out loud, man, I see Jesus in you in the way that you parent that rowdy teenager. I, I see Jesus in you and how you care for your elderly mom. I see Jesus in you because you're sticking it out in a marriage that is difficult. I see Jesus in you because you're chasing that God dream in your heart. Don't stop. Don't quit. We have to say to each other, keep going. I know it's hard. I know, I know life can weigh you down, but you're doing a good job. Getting to church can't be easy on your work schedule. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad you made it. And we're speaking life over each other. Okay, can I tell you one more story about Cecily? Would that be okay with you guys this morning? Or I'm going to anyway, even if you don't want to. So. But, so Cecily, my bundle of joy daughter, each year um, at school, she has this thing called a pumpkin run. And basically, they run, each class runs one lap around the track, and then they sign a pumpkin. Genius. Genius title, pumpkin run. Okay. So there's about 120 kids in her second grade class, and they go, so they go in heats, all right, around the track. And this year, um, when it was Cecily's grade's turn, there was always, you know, a slower kid in every heat. I feel for that kid. That was me, probably, in second grade, and now, okay. But... Um, there's a slower kid in every heat. And just when that kid, in every heat, every single heat, which there's like 10 or 12, I don't know, just when that kid would turn the last corner of the lap, Cecily, my spunky fireball child, would lead the whole grade level in chanting the name of the kid until they crossed the finish line. Kelsey, Kelsey. She'd look at me, Kelsey, see what Kelsey. 
John, 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 Liz, 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 Liz. And the whole, the whole group of 100 kids would just chant the name, Derek, Derek, Derek. Derek's like, you know, like walking to the finish line. And they would just chant the name of the kid coming across the line. And as I watched and smiled, because I was like, where did she get that? I started crying because I had this moment where I just couldn't help but think of the parallel of heaven. Let's face it, we all act like a bunch of second graders usually anyway. (laughs) And here we are, limping around, wounded, slow, getting distracted, and the throngs of heaven, the, the angels and the saints, and, and, and the scripture says Jesus Christ himself, the word, is just chanting our name. Come on. Come on, you can do it. I know it hurts right now. Just go one more. You're on the last corner. Turn it around. Just cheering us on until we make it home. Can we do that as a family of God? Can we do that? Can we cheer each other on until we make it home? Can we speak life until we make it home on the last corner of that lap when we're the last one coming around? Can we do that for each other? Psalm 141.3, we talked about this in when we talked about sharing stories a few weeks ago, says, set a guard over your mouth, O Lord. Watch over the door of my lips. I believe in... in um, in Exodus 18, that the Israelites lost track of that command in the wilderness at times. And the scripture says that the complaining of the Israelites opened a door for the enemy who came in and destroyed them. They should have appreciated God's goodness. They should have said, thanks for the manna. Thanks for turning that water, bringing that water out of nothing. Thanks for turning that water from bitter to sweet. But instead, they grumbled and they complained. And they spent more time in the darkness and in the wilderness because they didn't keep watch over the door of their lips. Complaining and negativity and gossip and slander and discouraging talk and fault finding and grumbling is a negative wilderness mentality that will prevent us from crossing into the promised land. And the Israelites complained and stayed in the wilderness. As I wrote this down this week, I really think this. Someone here this morning needs to hear this truth, that you are stuck in the same wilderness spot. You are stuck in the darkness because you have not kept watch over the door of your lips. And if you begin to do that, God can set us free. Have we been speaking negatively or critically of one another? Have we said things about people who, that we wouldn't have said if they were present? Have we made jokes that undermine important areas of life or denigrate others who are created by God? Have we spoken, tweeted, blogged, or posted words that hurt someone? Have we spoken tactlessly or thoughtlessly? Jesus said in Luke 6.45, Out of the abundance of your heart your mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So a critical heart produces a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart produces a judgmental tongue. A bitter heart produces a sharp tongue. An ungrateful heart produces a grumbling tongue. But a loving heart produces a gracious tongue. A faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart produces a reconciling tongue. And a trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. The standard that Jethro set in Exodus 18 is for the community of God to change their words from death to speak life. So how do we do that? Well, we fill our hearts with grace, and grace will come out. 
We fill our hearts with peace and peace will come out. We soak in the scripture, we soak in worship, we soak in joy, and that will come out. I read this this week. Eulogies are for the living. Eulogies are for the living. Don't miss your opportunity to tell someone, to speak life over someone when you have the chance. What if every time we gathered as a church family, we asked each other, how can we pray life, how can we speak life over one another? And what if we saw groups of two or three or 20 all over this building every week just exhorting and encouraging and praying life into each other? I'm not making like a program or like you guys meet on this blue team over here. I'm just saying, just, just cheering each other on. What kind of atmosphere would that make this place? What kind of life could flow through the atmosphere of Erie First Assembly if every time we came into these doors we said, I'm going to find just somebody to speak life into? And then, and then what if we didn't stop there? What if we did that like at Target when we saw each other? And and at the zoo, and after we visit someone's house, and at the end of a sports game, our kids are playing, and what if we stopped and deliberately spoke life to one another? Could we change the spiritual atmosphere of this entire city? I believe that the scripture says that we could. I get excited. I I get excited about thinking about the way that some simple changes, some, some simple practices of doing life together could bring heaven to earth. And, and I, get, I get pumped up when I think about how something as fun and seemingly simple as just celebrating life together and speaking life into each other can show us how we value community and how we value each other. I really do believe that sometimes living in the Christian life isn't as abstract as we figure it to be. Sometimes I think we use it as an excuse. Sometimes it's just real, real practical. Celebrate life and speak life. Celebrate life and speak life. God says that will change things. Start there. Celebrate life and speak life. So today, in just a minute, we're going to play a video. It's about a three-minute video. I want you to get out your um, sermon note things on there. If, if you didn't get one, get out like a gum wrapper, rip a page out of the hymnal. Don't do that. Just kidding. All right, find something to write on. And as we play this video, which is a song called Speak Life by Toby Mac, um, I want you to write down life-giving words to someone in this room today. It it might be someone you saw when you came in, someone who helped you to your seat, someone who winked at you across the room. Add your phone number on the bottom, if that's the case. Go ahead. And before you leave this building, now listen, are you hearing me? This is like a direct, this is a direct report. I get to tell you because I'm up here. Before you leave this building, hand deliver that to someone in this room. There's a lot of people you can affirm. There's a lot of people that you can share value with. But I want you to do it to someone that's in this room, sitting here, or in the building, okay, if they're working somewhere else. Challenge yourself. Push yourself. Don't pick, like, the easiest person you can think of, like, thanks, Mom. Okay? (laughs) Moms need encouragement. But just stretch yourself a little bit and speak life into someone And let's be real practical about our faith and what God's going to do as we celebrate each other and we speak life into each other. So go ahead and play that video. Just take three minutes and write down, use a piece of paper, and write down uh, words of encouragement. So 
Some days life feels perfect, other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. Yo, it's crazy, amazing. We can turn our heart through the words we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Broken, live or die. So speak life, speak life to the deadest. Other days my thoughts just fall apart. I do, I don't, I will, I won't. It's like I'm drowning in the deep. Well, it's crazy to imagine words from my lips as the arms of compassion. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Who can live or die? So speak life, speak life to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Perfect. Perfect. 